that's coming. I feel like we should dress up in the same outfit. Me and my burns. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, everybody, welcome to the first episode of the Two Ball Golf Show. <laughs> What are you giggling at? Nothing, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah, what's funny uh, about it? You just changed your voice then, it was different. It was, was it? Yeah, it was more like clear and... Oh, yeah, it was like, that's your um, that's your podcast voice. Is it? <laughs> I've got a new voice, because I've never done a podcast before, so we've got a new voice right now. Well, everybody, welcome to the show. Um, what are we going to be talking about today, Burns? There's uh, lots to get through. Maybe we should have planned that before turning the mics on and getting the cameras rolling. But Absolutely. So, the idea of this podcast podcast show because it's going out as a podcast and as a show onto youtube the two ball golf show which is what it is is it um which is back to me and bernie on the table doing our thing <laughs> that sounds so wrong yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> i'm thinking about this time. okay so first topic that i have for you bernie i just want to welcome everyone to the two ball golf show <laughs> again i'm lester bernie barnes and this is Dan Hendrickson, welcome. Welcome. <clears throat> so the first question I've got for you, Bernie, you've now been in the YouTube scene on your own for, I would say, six months. <laughs> Too long. <laughs> Far away, Dan. How has been your first, I would say, six months on your own yep. as now a YouTuber, content creator? Oh, keep going. I have no other superstar. Words. Superstar. No. Well, you were always a superstar. How, how does it feel now to be out there in the w big wide world on your own, creating your own content, doing your own thing? Are you like? Are you enjoying it? How honest am I allowed to be? Be as honest this? as you like on this show. This is what this show is all about. It's all do about I, your honesty. So, do I sacrifice my friendship for some good content? Definitely. Jordan would say, "Do it." I'm gonna do it. Um, well, now I went from having one boss, who was all right to start with, but. As, as time sort of progressed, he started to grate on me a little bit. And now I've got a brilliant boss, to be fair. Which is you. Obviously. Uh, no, it's been a bit eye-opening. Yeah. I've enjoyed the journey. I'm very much a newbie to the scene. I would never say that I was, you know, I'm not a great editor. Um, I'm learning as I go. But I'm putting the effort, time in, and hoping that... Well, not hoping. I know that every video that I'm producing is fractionally better than the previous. So if you look at your original stuff, I think that's important. Someone who's creating content is that you improve and you get better as the journey progresses. There's been a few things that I've found... Um, not shocking, because I, I expected it. But you're very much on your own. Other YouTubers... It's not all of them. Quite a few of them, I find, are not particularly helpful. They're also not very supportive. For me, I'm one of them that if we can all grow together, then we make YouTube a better place. There's more people watching, and we all earn more money. But there seems to be it's quite a secretive and quite a closed shop. And they a lot of established YouTubers don't like new YouTubers coming onto the scene. Whereas I think we should encourage each other, help each other, film content together and grow together. That's an interesting one, that one, because I, I, I think of it from like as a golfing point of view. Yeah. So if I think about the PGA world, it's very territorial. Oh, if you think about if you think about like 
our days in the pro shops and things like that. Yeah. You know, if, if another coach or another pro came to your golf course and started coaching on the golf course, like that gets very territorial and you can't just take... So, for example, if I had a, um, a client who was playing in a tournament over at another golf course, yeah. okay, and they said to me, Dan, can you come over and just coach me around that golf course? That would be... Oh, big frown upon. Unless mm. it's a big tournament, so like PGA Tour things like that, where they go from venue to venue to venue, and coaches obviously go with them. It's territorial, and even though when it comes to the playing side of things in the PGA thing, I I feel like it's a really tight knit community. So I've got some amazing friends that have, I've grown up playing golf with over the years. That you you play to you, you know you only have to yeah. look at my you know the channel where. You know, the likes of my brother and Gilly and Ruthie and Joe the Pro. You know, these are all friends of ours that you travel together. Do you think that's a golf thing? So it's, it's YouTube golf or do you think that's the whole of YouTube? Because, I'm, I, you know, I'll use a local example. When James Roof switched from being in the Cornish Alliance into the Devon Alliance yep. and started cleaning up, he was winning events, there was... Animosity. Not, not, ev- not everybody, Animosity. don't get me wrong, not everybody, because that would yeah. be unkind to a lot of people that do want to see other people progress and do well. But there was like, there was a bit of an atmosphere, well, why is James turning up and winning all our events? He's Cornish. He's a- yeah. And There you go. There's which, your territorial thing going on right there as well. Which maybe it's money orientated, maybe, rather than anything. Um, yeah, shining, maybe, outshining other people, yeah, things possibly. like that. So, so it does happen. Um, and I don't think that... The YouTube space, to be honest, is really any different. No, I don't either. I would, you know? I would definitely, definitely say that. The other thing I found as well is that st- although ninety nine point nine percent of the people that subscribe, view your channel and watches are absolutely brilliant. The comments, you know, Mickey train. Mouse, Mickey Mouse just arrived. The, the comments are, are brilliant and really encouraging, and they can see that you're trying to develop and trying to move on and, and trying new things and some work, some doesn't. And they're brilliant. Now, that, that keeps me going, the good the good comments. That's what it's about, like, for me personally. But you still get quite a few negative comments and, and I just, I'm one of those people that, if I don't like something, it might be whether it's a restaurant or even a YouTube channel or content, I just don't watch it or I don't go there again. I don't go on there and go, I hate this. Yeah, and negative without actually having any constructive criticism, and I don't understand that. Like people come on there and say, and be like quite harsh about maybe a character or what how you've filmed something or where you've been or the you know it could be about the course and stuff like that. And I just don't think there's any need for it. So I found quite not a lot, but the odd negative comment, and I'm just like, it's free content. You're paying nothing for this. Don't watch it if you don't like it. So that's an interesting one. So those comments have always been there. Yeah. Even when you were over working on, on my yeah, channel, it's, those comments were there. Did you feel that now because you produce it, the content yourself, as in you have to set it up, you have to organise the golf courses, you have to organise the people that are going to be involved in that video, like is that then become a little bit more personal to you compared to maybe... Because, I mean, you that's read, some, co- you read yeah. some great comments from about personalities about me yeah, yeah. about you you didn't i don't feel like you took them particularly to heart if no, anything no. you'd say to me you know just let it go down let it go it's, yeah it is it's i just mean that's a real that's a really good point and for those that don't know the background i used to do probably for six months i would answer all the uh, comments on the youtube channel on dan's yeah. channel 
So I've seen, probably seen more of those comments than what you like, likes of yourself or maybe Jordan or Lee or whoever's been involved in the channel over the last sort of three, four years. But I've always been like, that. you're not going to please everybody. There's going to be people that don't like you for numerous reasons. It could be jealousy. Yeah. It could be that they, they, you know, they want to be where you are or your personalities in life. Personalities of people don't always mix and unfortunately, you're not going to get on with everybody. I mean, you can try to, but that's just not going to happen. But I guess now when it's more personal to me, I mean, I don't take it to heart. I just be like, okay, that's fine. And it, I find it hard not to react. I guess they're looking for a reaction. Sometimes. And you have to be thick-skinned. If you're, if you're not, and I'd give any advice to anybody who's thinking of doing some content, whether that's on a sort of professional level, they're just doing it for their own enjoyment and fun... Don't take those comments personally. Yeah. And you need to... It's, it's water for ducks back. You've got to be like, okay, put them to the side because there's enough good comments and enough nice people out there to make encourage you to continue making content of a standard that you feel is good enough to yeah. broadcast on YouTube. Yeah, agree. Um, you had a question for me, didn't you? So, as a newbie myself, Dan, you're someone who's been doing it for sort of three, four years on your own as a, on a channel and then you've obviously had the experience of being on Mark's channel previously for another three four years so you're sort of eight maybe eight nine years into your YouTube journey and it's developed nicely what advice would you give to myself who's been doing it less than six months how to you know how I can make my channel better how I can improve or any other sort of pitfalls that you've seen along the way that I may fall into that or the trap that you, I can actually improve on and to avoid well I've actually been uh, tagged as the busiest fool on YouTube. I don't know how you feel about that. But it's that, a, it's, that is something that I've it's been It's a negative for. and a positive. <clears throat> so, because you're a hard worker, I, I would state on this particular show now that you work 24-7, 14, 15, 16, 17 hours a day, and you put the time and effort into, and the stu- I know you're my, you're my best friend, and we work together, and we do content together, but your content and what you and Jordan and other editors, Johnny, etc., produce is as good as anybody who puts any golf YouTube out there, in my opinion. I think um, when it comes to, literally when it comes to the YouTube element, I think that the all, content isn't always the most important bit. No, from it. no. Um, I would say that having good audio is always a good thing. Um, I think then the focus has got to be title and thumbnail. So it also depends really on, on what you want to achieve from YouTube. So if you're looking to grow and be a hundred thousand and get your, get your button, you know, your, your YouTube silver button, um, you know, you need, there's a number of things that you're going to need to do. And obviously having a good team behind you, helping you do that, um, it's going to be hard work for a start, but I think good audio is important. You don't necessarily need to spend thousands of pounds on cameras, and you, you're, no. you know, you're a prime example at the moment where, you know, you're editing on your phone, you yeah, know, and um, that that to me would be hard work. Like I wouldn't want to go down that road, but you've learned how to do it that way, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's know, just one way of doing best it. Best thing know? about having it on your phone, you can literally, if you've got a spare half an hour mm. and you're not doing anything, you can literally get your phone out and start editing. Could you imagine? If I had to edit, could you imagine if I had my phone, which is on me all the time, and I was editing? Oh my through god, my you'd phone. be on it. So I wouldn't, I yeah, wouldn't sleep. I mean, ideally, ideally, I would use 
a editing program on a laptop, which yeah. is what I will do. But when I was getting going, I was just trying to get the content out and build the channel and get videos on there, j- literally to try and build up my subscribers. Um, that was the main thing, rather than if it, I started doing it on a laptop and it took me a, a week to edit one video, then I'd be putting out, rather than putting content out every four or five days, I'd be into like two weeks and then yeah. I'd never, I'd feel like I wouldn't, wasn't progressing. But this winter, I know that I've got a bit of a plan, um, hopefully with your help, Jordan's help, etc. that I can learn how to broaden my skills, broaden my knowledge and also to edit more on the laptop and increase my production levels and values. Good. Very important. Very important. Any other advice you'd give? Not really. I think just keep going. Like, be consistent with when you put out. Um, Be consistent on the days and and start slowly and then build up. You know, I went went down a road where it was like seven days a week. It was stressful to create that type of content. So um, once you start something, you know, you, ideally you just build on it rather than start high and then sort of bring it all back down. So yeah. I think, you know, even if you're just going out once a week, you know, even if you're doing it twice a month, you know, just be consistent with the days that you want to put it out on and yeah. then build it up to once a week. And then if you want to push it to two, two a week, then, then do that. But I think consistency is key as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm of, I slightly got a different take on it than what you have, I guess, because I... I'm trying to let it naturally grow, which uh, at some stage, I mean, it is growing naturally, a couple of hundred, 250, 300 a month. Yeah. But I know that I'm going to come to a stage which maybe next month or maybe in six months' time where that level almost sort of just flatlines and just, yeah. and, and then I'm going to have to change my style. But at the moment, I'm just sticking videos out as and when. I'm not chasing views and numbers and subs. I'm just letting that naturally occur. But I know that, like you said, you're going to have to, at some stage, schedule when the video goes out because that's going to help kick it on, I guess. Yeah. But at the moment, I'm just getting the content out, putting it out at random times and, as they say, throwing a lot of mud at the wall, we could say another word, and seeing what sticks and what yeah. works and what doesn't, really. And it's all a learning curve. I don't think anybody knows. You can give people good advice and it's good to take on advice, but nobody really knows the secrets of YouTube. Moving on then, Ryder Cup. Coming up as well. Coming up, there. not far yep. away, Italy. Thoughts on the Ryder Cup? Okay. Um, as a spectacle, it, it's grown over the last you know several years, and it's, um, it's a highlight, biannual highlight of the golfing calendar. It's something I really look forward to. I love match play. We don't see a lot of it. You see a couple of events each year now of match play, but as... A reasonable amateur who played county golf, southwest golf, etc. As we did, a lot of our golf was focused around match play. So it's it's just a good form of golf, in my opinion. And the Ryder Cup is the pinnacle for any professional golfer to achieve to be part of a team and to be part of a winning team. But I do worry for the Europeans in this particular event. Well, they got smashed last time, and that I, I I'm worried that that's becoming a bit of a trend. You look at the American team and the depth of, of players and even those guys that have not made the team who are looking for wild cards and picks, etc. The depth of their team, they could almost produce, in my opinion, three teams that would possibly beat the beat the European team, which I'll be honest, I don't a couple of those names are, are, I've just researched today to have a little look at look at them and I don't even really know much about them. Um, 
that might work in, in Europe's favour, but unless they set the course up to favour the Europeans maybe make tighter fairways, um, bring pinch points in at sort of 320, 330 yards and, and, you know, grow the rough up, then I do believe the Americans will dominate and will give us a good beating. That's only my opinion. It might not happen. It hasn't happened always. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I'm probably going to agree with what you're saying there. However, I mean, we... One thing I want to ask you is... Take the European side out of the equation because yep. ultimately the Europeans have a very set um, procedure as to who is allowed to play in the event and who is not. Yeah, correct, yep. Is there anybody that should be in the Ryder Cup team for the US that's on that fringe point right now and should live, you know, do you <laughs> think live players will be in there as well? Okay, so that's almost two separate questions, isn't it? Um, ideally, you want the best players in the world who yeah. are eligible or from those particular for a continent of Europe and actually being American you want the best players playing because that's ultimately for me what golf's about and elite golf is about having the best players yeah however I know that the European team have already stated that I would say a lot of the European players that have gone across to live probably wouldn't qualify now anyway for the team or they would be struggling to qualify whereas the Americans some of the their top players have joined the live, and the likes of Brooks Kepka would probably. I mean, he might even qualify still, mightn't he? On his, I don't know. I don't know where thing. they're at with it. But like Bryson, you'd have people, you know, of that ilk who would strengthen their team, in my opinion, particularly in a match play scenario. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a tricky one, isn't it? They, they. In your opinion, could, should the live players be playing in the event? It's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword for me because I feel they've made the decision to move away from the PGA Tour. And but the PGA Tour doesn't doesn't affect US players. No, it doesn't. Okay. That's not one of the. That's not the criteria. You don't have to be a PGA Tour player to. You don't have to be a member of the PGA Tour. No. You do European, though, don't you? In Europe, you do. Okay, well then they should be allowed to play. Yeah. Um, definitely, if they if they can qualify and they're el- eligible to play. And they were under the understanding that once they left the tour, they would still be okay for Ryder Cup. Although the, it was hard for them to qualify with the point system, with the live tour not being recognised by the, yeah. the world rankings and, and gaining points. They can only do it through majors and 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 um, certain events that they're they're able to play in. Then yes, they should be allowed to play. And maybe Europe needs to rethink a little bit. Think outside the box because it's going to become a point. Things have changed, in my opinion. Yeah. It's going to become a point where we've already gone from yep. Great Britain and Ireland versus America now to continental Europe or Europe versus America. Is yeah. it going to be Europe? Uh, so is it going to be America versus the rest of the world? What do you think of that scenario? Yeah, well, to I make don't. It more competitive. I don't disagree with that. I think that I think it's another event because I think the Ryder Cup is still. You got to remember there was, you know that. U.S. dominated the Ryder Cup for so long. Yeah. Um, they moved it over to, to Europeans, but they still dominated to a point. Yeah. But then you go back, like, in our generation, our early days of playing golf. It was competitive. It, it was competitive. And yeah. the U, U, actually, the European team dominated over the American team, which the Americans didn't like. No. Um, it's just it's just, it's just tilted their way a little bit right now. And I think it won't take, it won't take much... For it to actually just fall back a little bit the other way, if you look at all the players that are possibly coming up through the ranks within the Challenge Tour and and, and DP you, World Tour, 
So um, would you blame the DP World Tour for the for that particular slump? The no. way they've acted as a, in my opinion, as the second or third division of professional golf. I well, mean, no, because you finish top five on their order of merit, and you go, you get a US Tour card. Yeah, PJ Tour card. I mean, what? Why? Why would you be giving your well, best it's, it's players? Well, it's a to kickstart to get onto the PJ Tour, isn't it? Why that's would what you want to get rid of your best players to the PJ Tour? No, but then it doesn't. That still doesn't affect the Europe. That doesn't affect the European Ryder Cup team because ultimately those guys that are playing in US are still going to pick up the points to play on the US to play on the European Ryder Cup team. So you're still going to get your Shane Lowry's, your Fleetwoods, your, your Rory McIlroy's, your Fitzpatrick. You know those guys that play full time on the PGA Tour. They're going to be in your Ryder Cup team, whatever happens. It's what's happening is that possibly the, and I don't believe it's the standard of golf because you could say that the standard of golf is possibly because those players are not there anymore, the standard of golf drops a little bit on the European tour. Therefore, the quality of players coming out of the European that's tour competing for the... That's those, what I would say teams. is probably the biggest issue. That's, what, that's the point I was trying to make. Those yeah. players not competing as much on the DP World Tour. Yeah. You're ju- you're like like here's a good example, okay? The more if competitive you, people. If are. you had if you then dis- if you had a match now, yep. tournament goes out, your top 10 from the PGA Tour, your top 10 from the Live Tour and your top 10 from the European Tour, what's the order of finish? So, in my opinion, PGA Tour wins, okay? Because they've got more depth. Okay. Live Tour have maybe got five or six or seven Players that would probably be in the top fifty in the world, but then then the the, the other people are has beens or journeyman pros in my opinion. That's probably been maybe been a little bit unfair, but that's how I see it. Yeah. And the DP World Tour is the people that aren't good enough to play PGA Tour or Live Tour. Well, the, and this is what I'm saying. That's, so that's you're finishing PJ Tour. Yep. So PJ Tour is basically your US team. Yeah. You got your you live you're finishing second, yeah, and then your DP World Tour are finishing third. That'd be an interesting event, though, wouldn't it? But what's happening is the US team is allowed to pick players out of the live events at the yeah. live tour, but the European Tour isn't allowed to get those players. So, but they've made that decision. I know they've made that decision. Their own and, fault, and, isn't it? And it's and it it's not the players' own fault. No, no. It's who suffers. The suffers. The people that suffer are going to be the European the spect- team? Well, the spectators? European team, the spectators of Europe, yeah. if they're going to get smashed every time they they, they uh, go out and play against the US team, they wa- they're g- we're going to want to see some change. That's if, my feel. In my opinion, if it becomes uncompetitive and we know the result, yeah. that's half the drama of a Ryder Cup. Well, it's more than half the drama. The Ryder Cup literally completely lost. Yeah. There, if you know the result, I mean, you wouldn't even want... Would you want to keep watching it if, say... America dominated for 10 straight Ryder Cups, 20 years. Yeah. Gets to the 20th the 20th year, you'd be like, well, I know the result. Like, I'm not that bothered about watching it. Because yeah. that's sport for me, and that's why I'm going to go back to football because I know more about football than golf, possibly. That is why the Premier League is, in my opinion, the best league in the world because the, bottom, the team that finishes 20th in the league yeah. can beat the team that win the league, whereas... You go to Germany; it's a one-team, it's a one-team league, same as France is a one-team league. Whereas we have lots of different results. You have, you know, okay, Man City have won it the last couple of years, but Arsenal should have won it last year. And then you've got, you know, you've got Man United who are re-emerging. Liverpool have won it in the past. Yeah. You've got Newcastle coming through, and that makes it competitive and makes you want to watch it. I Whereas just, an uncompetitive Ryder Cup, I'm not interested in it. I just feel that, and we move on from the subject in a minute, but I just feel that if you take football World Cup. It doesn't matter where those England 
or Brazilian players play in the world, no. they're Most eligible to play for England. Okay, if you take rugby, those players that are not playing in England can't play. Can't play for England. But they're but trying to protect their league. They're trying to protect their that's, league. That's, I get that's, that. That's the point of it. Isn't it? And what's happening with the Ryder Cup now? is to me, the, the Ryder Cup is a world stage. Yeah. Therefore, if you're European, in whatever, in whatever walk of life that you decide to go and play on in whatever field, yeah. you are European, you are eligible to play for the European Ryder Cup team. If you're US, no matter where you play in the world, you should be eligible to play on the US team. And that's the same when it comes to the President's Cup. If you're the rest of the world and you're um, US... You can choose. It, like it, it, the players can play wherever they want, but still compete on those. But the point those you're things. making is you want the best players in the world. Of course you do in the Ryder Cup. Of course you do. It's, it's what makes the best. It's another area of devaluation. And it was no different than this when I was talking about the the major championships. Yeah. I don't want to see people like Cam Smith or whoever not be in the in no. the in the um, majors. Yeah. I don't want to see. I'm not going to tune in to watch that. Is there anything more rewarding in life than finishing first or winning? In a, let's say golf, just taking golf as an example, beating a brilliant field of all the best players in the world and you finishing first and winning that major championship rather than 20 of the top yeah. 100 players not there and you win an event. What's the, I mean, it's chalk and cheese for me. I want to beat the best players and you're only as good as the field, in yeah. my opinion. Absolutely right. Couldn't agree more. Moving on, Lucas yeah. Glover. Um, it, it's... The reason that golf, one of the reasons, not the reason, one of the reasons golf is so brilliant is someone who's had, he's had a successful career. I'm not, I'm not disputing what he's done. He's US Open events, champion. US Open champion. He's not a serial winner. Hasn't been. He's in the twilight of his PGA Tour career. He's in his late 40s. I think he's 47, 46. 43. Does he? Yeah. Oh, I've got that wrong then. He's 43. Okay, he's 43. He was in his 40s. He looks so, 47. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Lucas. I know he watches this and listens to it. So, okay, he's he's what I would consider... He's more than a journeyman because that's being unfair on what his achievements have been. Yeah. But if you said Lucas Glover a couple of years ago to me, I'd be like, oh, what's happened to him? Like, he's not he's not been at the forefront of of winning and, 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 and competing at the highest level, in my opinion. He's been that next level... But he's gone back-to-back wins, which has propelled him into a Ryder Cup position. Potential. Potential to actually be in a Ryder Cup. And is he, not, he hasn't played Ryder Cup, has he? No, he's I'm never, sure played, he never no, played in the Ryder Cup. So, in your forward, I mean, he's probably would have been last year looking at thinking, well, I've got seven and a half or eight years to go until I'm on the, on the yes. Legends Tour. Yeah. Um, Champions Tour, sorry. And, and now he's, I could, he's probably now thinking to himself, I've won two tour events. Why can I not win another major? Why can I not play Ryder Cup? Why can I not win another event or three or four more events and move himself up into the elite? Again? So, so do you know why he dropped off? Why he dropped off so badly? No, I'll be honest, I don't have a clue. Okay. He had, and possibly still has with a certain setup, the yips with putting. Okay. So he would miss, I think it was like from from three or four feet, he missed 26 times in a season That's a lot uh, of money to last year yeah. and then 27 the year after, I believe. Is Those he are the stats. longer putter? He's just yeah. moved over to a more broom-style putter. That's another open discussion, isn't it? Massively. But for someone like me who has 
dealt had to deal with the yips um, in times gone by. And I know someone like you who has certainly had to deal with the yips. I've over gone back time. to conventional passing now. But I always feel that the yips are never too far away from popping their head up every now and then. For me personally, yeah. Um, I only need to go back to a, a traditional way of putting, of which I will, um, I will. They'll come back. So quite yeah, so it's an interesting one. I know you, you you have struggled in the past, but I would regard you as a good putter. Yeah, and, and very good in, putter, in, in the fact. way I in the way I putt now, yeah, yeah. and as in the way I hold the putter and the way it makes There's me feel. There's not many things. more any people that I would want putting for me than you, in my opinion. No, I mean, and I'm and I'm confident with my putter. Yeah. What my what my what my thing with with obviously Lucas Lover is that you know the yips and net the the, the for no. him, the, and probably something that he's probably going through himself is that the yips are never far away. No, so that might be subconsciously in the back of his mind, and yeah. he could again, if that, if he has a bad case of it and it lasts several months, and he could, you know, he could then, I don't say disappear because he's, he's still going to be around playing tall golf. But well, he's been hanging around for this long with that's it. That's what I mean. So I mean, yeah. he could then drop down, and and it could just be a sort of, I don't want to say a flash in the pan because he still had he's. Played some amazing golf. He's a he's a major champion, so you can never take that away from him. But I mean, it it's it's good to show the struggles, and he's sort of overcome them, or managed them, or lived with them to still produce brilliant golf. And I think his ball striking. Back back. I think his ball striking's always been there. Yeah. I think that I know you. I've seen you find a new putter or a new style of putting. Yeah. You've gone out for two or three weeks, putted lovely, and then before you know it. It only takes you to get up on that wrong side of the bed, and then you've not feeling quite right, and then it goes. You, you can lose the plot again with it. And, oh, and, I, and I just look at someone like Lucas Glover, and I'm thinking, right, he's won. He's gone back to back, which is like wow, for starters. Um, and you know, is it just as you quite rightly said? Is it just a flash in the pan? Could it pop yeah. back at any time? Is that something I mean, to consider when you're picking him for the Ryder Cup? There's loads of things, isn't there? But I mean, I would just say that you just got to look at. Bernard Langer for inspiration, a guy that suffered with the yips for, you know, 30, 40 years. He's yeah. winning senior major championships in his, you know, he's he's sort of almost a generation older than the people now playing the Champions Tour. He's yeah. in his, you know, twilight of his career and he's still winning major championships Phenomenal. despite his age and the fact he's struggled with the yips all that, all for those continuous years. and. Yeah. The mental scarring that he must have, even, I mean, I know I'm not ever comparing myself to someone as brilliant as him, but even now, if I'm stood over a three foot in the last, like I have been recently to shoot under par for the first time in like two years, you know, you're just still worried about it and think, well, this could, please put a good stroke on it. And you honestly don't know what stroke you're going to put on it until you take that putter back. And I can almost tell what stroke going to be on my backswing and then, and you're just hoping you can manage the face through impact. You're not going to get any any sudden jerky movements and miss the putt, and it you know and costs you something that you should win on ball striking alone. But you have to have all those components of a golf game to win to win events and yeah. win titles and win anything you know at particular levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to now discuss the fact that the Solheim Cup and the Ryder Cup are back to back weeks. This year on tour, I know from next year the Solheim Cup is going to go to um, even numbers, so they won't clash. But this particular year, we have both those events back to back. What are your opinions on 
running two similar events for the females and for the males back to back and what impact is that going to have i i'll be honest i don't know much about what the impact is going to have on it because um do you think it's that saturation of a particular event do you think it should be spread i like it i like it one year it's Ryder cup one yeah. year it's solheim cup i think you know the energy levels of of the if the Ryder Cup being ahead of the of the Solheim Cup, the, the energy levels might dip the, off a little it's bit. It's the other way around, isn't it? Um, Solheim Cup first, and then Ryder Cup second. Yeah, I I, I think I, that's the best way. It's as good. It's that way round. I don't know whether that was planned, um, but in my opinion, if it's the other way round and we get a close Ryder Cup or one that's particularly memorable, then that might completely overshadow the Solheim Cup and yeah. and might. You might not remember what happened in the Solheim Cup, whereas every other year I think works perfectly well and fits in nicely. But yeah, um, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't see it being an issue personally. I feel that the Ryder Cup and the Solheim Cup should be on separate years. Therefore, it gives the again it gives the audience an opportunity to have something every year with regards to space it, as well. a breathing space for yeah. it. Um, so no, I, I don't think it's going to. You know, hopefully this is not the case every year, and they're going to probably do something about it. No, they are it. They're moving it. They're going to move it's it back. Moving, yeah, that, okay. that so Ryder Cup will be odd numbers yeah. years, and then um, okay. Solheim Cups even numbers from next year. Okay, but this year it just happens because of the COVID. Obviously, one of them was postponed, yes. and it would have been a three-year break otherwise. Yeah, so there's going to be a movement. It's going to be so a movement. So they've obviously outlined the fact that that could be a potential problem. Yeah, and thankfully they rectify it for next Good. year. I'm just a bit concerned this year that there should be more space maybe but should have been better planning possibly and more space between the two events um, it, it it probably is what it is for one year and then and then obviously that it'll deal with i don't think it will necessarily massively affect it this year i think if it was an ongoing thing i think that people would say something about it but i think yeah. because it's going to be dealt with i think it should be you know one year there one year there sort of thing i think it's the perfect way of doing it i really do um what do you think the chances are for the US compared to the um, European team for the Ryder Cup? Then it's similar, isn't it? It's similar, isn't it? The more, yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I, it's I think it's going to be closer. I think it's I, I think it'll be closer because some of our, some of the ladies on the, that are playing for Europe, are, you know, serious, are, yeah, serious players, yeah. and hopefully they can form partnerships with the less experienced yeah. members of the team, and then. You know, a few of those will rise to the occasion like they have in the past. Uh, I remember Charlie Hole making a debut at 17 and not being an unknown because she had a very good amateur career, but she burst on the scene quite quickly and she was pushed into that. She, I mean, she got into the team and she was 17 years old and she just brought the energy and brought everything with her. And you wouldn't know, you'd have thought she was an experienced pro that had played a dozen Ryder Cups the way she performed and, and joined in and and the energy to the actual event so hopefully the few of the more experienced players the better players in the world can bring the younger ones through and also the less experienced members and then you know make it into a real good battle which i think it will be i think it'd be i personally think it'd be closer than what yeah. the Ryder cup is i think it will and i've played finca quarterzine and you? it is an absolute class golf course they used to hold um I think it was the Volvo match play around there okay. many, many moons ago. And I think I remember um, certainly winners of like Ian Poulter's one around there. But I think it's a great match play course. course yeah. It's tight. Like if I remember it was tight 
Um, Not a bomber's course. I don't see it as a bomber's no. course. I think there's areas where it, could, it does open up a little bit, but for the most part, it's pretty tight in and yeah. amongst the, the um, kind of cork trees up there. But yeah, great golf course, fantastic, beautiful, yeah. beautiful venue. Um, will be good viewing course. Can't remember it can't being remember gr- like no. massive because obviously you got to remember that, that a lot it, of trees, a lot of trees yeah. tucked in there, um, and you go offline. I remember some of the tee shots. You go offline and you just game over. You know, yeah. you can't find your, you're not going to find your ball, sort of thing. So no. um, I don't know where how they'll how they'll be able. Maybe that maybe the rough is a bit more expensive. I don't know. Don't know I how know, it'll be from, um, from a, it's it's on a hill, so it works its way around like a hill. So it probably would create some good. I mean, you know, it's held big events, so it should yeah. should be good for view. I mean, Ryder Cup wise, there's courses now that can't be used for the as a, as the venue for a Ryder Cup, just because of the amount of people that yeah. want to go and watch it, and the demand for tickets and etc. Like I know the Belfry can't get anywhere near the. Um, Is that right? Yeah, yeah. When we were up there last time, the the um, starter was saying that I, c- I, w- I won't quote any figures, well, I will, but I don't know how correct they were, but he was saying that the last Ryder Cup when it was there, they could just about manage 30,000 spectators. It was slightly younger. I think it was 27,000, if I'm correct. Yeah. But now a Ryder Cup, you acquire near enough 100,000 spectators yeah, yeah, yeah. on the course sure. every single day. Yeah. So if you suddenly went back to the Belfry, you can only have 27. You're almost a quarter, well, you're a quarter less than what you would require for a Ryder Cup venue. So... The start was saying that we'll never be back at the yeah. Belfry, which is a shame, but that's the way golfers progress. And the same with the Open Championship, with certain courses now that can't host an Open. Do you think, certainly with Europe, Ryder Cup, do you think that we've got enough golf courses now in Europe, around Europe, that the Ryder Cup doesn't need to be at the same venue twice? I would, I would say so. And if you, do you know what I mean? If you were to take it to different parts of Europe, maybe not sort of golf strongholds or, you know, and you planned it, I'm sure that the the amount of money and the investment that the country would make into producing a course or, or adjusting a course to be able to host such an event and the financial rewards of producing that golf course for the area and for golf in that particular region, then it would be, be worth, especially if you plan it enough time in advance, um, you gave like Denmark ten years or whatever to produce a course which could take a hundred thousand. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they can. And I, there probably yeah. is people that know that there's oh we've got we've already got a national course here which could do that. Yeah. But yeah, I reckon you could almost there must be there must be a hundred golf courses that got to be or a hundred venues that you could turn into potential Ryder Cup yeah. venues around Europe that you'd never have to repeat a venue. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, if you think about it, um, you know we've done Wales. Yeah. We've done Ireland, we've done Scotland. I mean, England was on the list for so long with regards to the Belfry, anyway. Yeah. So, kind of, you got to think that done France. You, you know, France is then done. Yeah. Um, you know, Italy's Spain. now. I mean, Valderrama. That was Valderrama has yeah. been done. You know, Italy actually. But even if we came back and we went back to Spain and we went back to Ireland or whatever, there must yeah. be other resorts other than the K Club to yeah. be able to take the Ryder Cup, or if you go up to Scotland. It's not Glen Eagles. Do you know what I mean? There must be must be venues. Yeah, St Andrews, couldn't you? Because that's an open venue, which is big enough. That's exactly what I was thinking. Would any of these golf courses be on that list? Um, it's like would would yeah. Augusta be on the list 
for a major like like let's say there's a Ryder Cup been going for 150 years yeah. would it go to Augusta for that one again I would say the viewing would be an issue because I know yeah. there's limited tickets when the Masters is there so potentially it's probably not big enough yeah. or they might not even want it yeah. because it might de if you have a Ryder Cup or another event there does it not devalue the Masters being at Augusta every year but I mean certainly some of the courses on the open rotor are big enough um, there must be a reason they don't use use them I haven't ever been there. It'd be interesting. interesting. I wonder if people know there must be a reason, wasn't there? There must be a reason. But however, that is the end of episode one of the two ball. Went really quickly, didn't it? It did go very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, If you are new to the channel, make sure you hit that subscribe button. If you are not subscribed to Bernie's channel, make sure you go and check out that one. And if you're not subscribed to my channel, why not? Um, Thanks for watching, everybody. We're not upset. We're just disappointed. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) We'll see you again on the next episode. (laughs) 